welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. On the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast, I feature entrepreneurs while I discuss ways you can grow your business today. Step onto the veranda, get a cup of tea, get comfortable, and let's talk shop. Let's do this. Welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Waziri Garuba of Harlem Labs. Harlem Labs is a boutique advisory firm born and raised in New York City. Harlem Labs exists to advise executives and entrepreneurs on strategy and execution while improving acquisition and retention. Welcome to the show, Waziri. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here, Christine. It is a pleasure. To it be is, on your podcast. Is. As far as we go back, you know, who knew you'd have a podcast? Who knew what a podcast was when we met? <laughs> yeah, we didn't even know that it was possible. I've yeah, been on yeah. for many years, so like Absolutely. this is really nice. This is going to be a good interview. So Thank I knew you for many years, but we're going to start mm-hmm. from the beginning. Before I mm-hmm. do, the younger version of Waziri. Oof. I know uh, Waziri in his early 20s, but I want to know... <laughs> What was Waziri like as a kid that leads you up to this point in your life? That's interesting. I, you know, I've been trying to answer that for my kids. Like, Daddy, what were you like? Um, I like reading. Um, <clears throat> I'm very energetic. Uh, I'd say folks would say creative, et cetera. For me, I'm just like, I got to wake up and do something today, right? So what's it going to be? And it better be interesting. Um, <laughs> so that was me as a kid, right? Like, honestly, I, I wanted to be an astronaut. I remember that was one of my earliest dreams was to go into space, and um, so I just started learning all things science and all things interesting, because I thought, you know, space is interesting and so on and so forth. Uh, my mom's a diplomat, so we, we moved around a lot. I spent, you know, I, I kind of came to awareness in New York City, because uh, we moved here when I was one, and then back to Nigeria, and it was back and forth a lot, uh, but I'd say my, my awareness was split between Nigeria, Lagos, and Imo, where my mom's from, and Kaduna in the north where my dad's from. Uh, and so I kind of just, you know, it was like, wow, Amer- there's American as Africa. How different, uh, you know. And then my mom's side of the family, uh, they were Christian, Catholic, you know, Igbo. And my father's side of the family, you know, they have Muslim cousins, Hausa, Yoruba, right. So there was that like, wait, you guys are arguing about the same God? So I think very early on I got into this thing called the dialectic and just trying to understand, you know, both sides of the coin and how they somehow coexist. Um, really loved philosophy. So in, you know, in college I was pre-med because I'm Nigerian. So of course you have to attempt to be a doctor before you fail. <laughs> <laughs> so I failed. Uh, but luckily my sisters went on to be doctors. So, you know, my parents still speak to two of the four children. Uh, or two of the five, so, uh, and they just passed the message along to us. No, I'm joking. My parents were great about that. Um, but no, I, I, I um, wound up going for a, a degree uh, in business management. And that's because, you know, I I think that leaving Nigeria and seeing the coup and then, like, my whole life I've been like, oh, the number one problem in humanity is humans and bad management, right? <laughs> like, it's like in every case, I'm like, oh, well, the leader did something stupid and then it all just fell apart, right? Um, yeah. And so when you see that come, coming from a country that, you know, has had a coup or even recent, you know, um, leadership that we've seen around the world, it's like, what can you do? So I studied right. business management. Uh, and I minored in economics and philosophy. Back to that dialectic, it was like economics, right? Make money, yeah. uh, let them starve, right? Because there's not enough. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, it's cold because I'm like, well, there's not enough. You're right. Um, 
and at the same time philosophically, right, um, is it a wise decision to let everybody starve because people don't handle their business, right? Like how does management handle that balance of, you know, scarcity versus uh, our moral uh, obligation? And so that kind of, for me, was my base, you know, uh, major in business management, minors in economics and philosophy. And, and then that's why I met you. Uh, because at that yes. point, I had landed a, an internship. <clears throat> at, I, no, I did SEO, landed an internship on Wall Street um, in the summer of 2000. And, you know, through Lloyd and Lydia and others, met you after September 11th, which was our second day at work coming out of college in 2001. Can you right? imagine so that? You, were you red pill, blue pill? Or like, which pill did you take? Where are you now? Where are you now, Trinity? <laughs> Right, like we were like we were really that generation, like Oh uh, my gosh. We're, we're something out you. of a Ray Dalio book. Go ahead. I, I don't know about she was. I still like nine eleven. I don't watch any of the documentaries. I I just kind of and my kids know that like, oh mom doesn't want to watch it. I don't really watch anything having to do with nine eleven on nine eleven. I just Oh no, I just can't it. They, watch it. They beat it to death on us, right? Um the media yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. The media, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know who they are. Uh, the the they definitely uh, drilled home all that stuff. But what I what I did take away was that these cycles are um, they're predictable, right? Yeah. Because there was that, and I remember Marcus Crisis, and they're like, oh, we never thought this would happen. And I'm like, no, we knew it was gonna happen, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Putin, yeah, I kind of had an idea, right? Crimea happened. Yeah. So I feel like it, it that was the real, like, just wipe away the naivete, right? Our youth was, our innocence was lost that day, and we've never gotten it back. Um, because this can happen. Who predicted? No, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. We just knew something like this would happen, and it would be big. Um, so that's kind of how I've approached life since. And, and, and one of the funny things I was talking, uh, I can't remember what it was. It might have been MLT or Watson Institute. But I was speaking to a crowd of people, and I was like, yeah, I, I, that was the moment I realized, like, my, my corporate career is dead, right? Like, they, they tell you that's the easy way, and I, I kind of get it. But what if they lay you off every five years, right? Or let's, let's just say every six years is the norm. Then I'm black. So it's really like every four years, right? Because then I got to do it. I was like, no, 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 no. I can't deal with these people. And every four years they have to readjust. Do you like golf? You know, do you like hockey? Like, you know, Wall Street was very like, you had to fit the club. And at that moment I was like, oh, <laughs> Like, I was like, you guys are losers in high school. And I know I'm hanging out with y'all to make money, but still losers. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Work from home. <laughs> I thought I was talking about working from home right then. Oh, um, my gosh. Right, but it's true, though. Remember that? Do you remember that whole period? We started fluent. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, we did. Okay, so okay. Talk about, first of all, I did not know your mom was a diplomat. Like, that's fascinating yeah. in itself. And I didn't know Thank you, you. you went back and forth to Nigeria, to the U.S. That's mm-hmm. definitely an interesting mm-hmm. perspective. And I didn't know your parents were, like, opposite tribes because, I mean – it never happened. Back, I'm like black, white, and Mexican really in Nigeria. Yeah, they don't. They don't. And my parents and still they have don't. have a war like, between like <laughs> they, no, they, tribes a, a in war Nigeria? Not, they had a genocide. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, it was, was a genocide, genocide that I think like either turned Steve Jobs vegetarian or something or like made him aware of suffering in the world. But it's part of like Steve Jobs' bio, reading about yeah. the Afro and being like, holy cow. Um, but, yeah, it was huge, man. They they just – my father's people basically tried to take out all those e- – the e-boats. Well, I can't 
father's people. Sorry. Yeah, like my father's a- He's actually Igbo and he's actually house in Yoruba himself, right? Fulani. Uh-huh. Um, but there's beef, man. And I mean, I blame the British. No, I'm joking, but I do. Um, <laughs> they put together folks that really just don't like each other, and we're like we're like Nigeria. We're separated by three rivers. It's as if God knew. <laughs> he's like, all right, you guys over here. <laughs> Across the water, you drown. Sucks for you, right? Like I gave you a sign. Don't you can't swim. <laughs> but like Nigeria has rivers that separates it, uh, and and essentially you, you find the people on those on those sides on those sides, right? But you know when the British came together, they're like, hey, let's just put y'all together. And then the way they left it was like, we'll give you guys the guns, we'll give you guys the butter. Well, the people with the guns went for the people with the butter, right? And 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 then you had like the people with the butter trying to split because all the oil is in the south is where the evils are. But when you have a federal kind of situation, the government is, of course, extracting, and, and that goes to benefit the people in the north. So there's just a huge difference in, in cultures. Um, it's cultures. It's not like who you are. It's just the culture that you're raised in has a very, very strong effect on who you wind up being. And they're very different cultures, right? And their religions are tied to that and so on and so forth. So in my household, I've always had this ability to be like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, you say this, but the reality is there's a whole bunch of people that say that, and somehow we coexist, right? Right. So that made that made the whole dichotomy between here and America. Kids, you know, can call the cops on their parents and talk back to them in Nigeria. It's like you wouldn't dare. No, <laughs> right? you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Back and forth. Oh, culture. So. How come that's yeah. not working in our household? But my neighbor's yeah. household, they could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. Oh, I got jokes and jokes, right? But. <laughs> that, that's fascinating. So I ended up meeting Waziri, and I remember just thinking, one, he's, like, one of the smartest people I've ever met. Two, he knows everybody. Like, I mean, if you say, hey, do you know someone who uh, grows, like, yellow grass in the middle of Zaire? Yeah, I know that person. <laughs> and it's just like I can connect you with that person. He's the connector of any group. He knows everyone. <laughs> Oh, uh, man, thank you. <laughs> I, I, I really, I, I know of people. I can't say they know me or they want to be known back. But, um, I, you know, people are fascinating. It's actually interesting because, like, I am, there's a thing I remember called Now Know Thy, now know Your Strengths or something, and I definitely, yeah. uh, philosophy, of course, right? I was taught philosophy by Jesuit priests. So it was very, like, deep and philosophical, but knowing yourself was one of the key things. And so one of my traits, I think there's, like, Achiever, activator, relator, and like connectedness. But I've always mm-hmm. kind of seen the connections between very disparate things. Of course, as we yeah. I'm like, wait, Allah, God, sounds like the same person or unit or whatever. Um, and, and then you just kind of go down that path. And at the end of the day, um, humanity's success has always come from humanity helping humanity, right? So it's always it's not the technology; it's the people, right? Like. You can present all these things, but it's like either I'm helping you, and then you know, even wealth is uh, is a result. It's, it's a construct of our connections with one another, right? Um, you're only worth what we say you are, what the society accepts as valuable within your account. Uh, and so, you know, we're, you know, man's an island. Like we actually don't exist in the absence of other people. And I'm just very finely attuned to why that matters to the people I love, right? Because it's I can't speak for everybody. I like to point out that I think some scientists said, you know, there's what, 108 billion people have lived, according to some. Like, so there's like 8 billion now, right? But like, of all the people that have ever lived, right, there's 100-something billion. So just think about all those perspectives and how they're all connected in the same process, life, death, love, whatever. Mm-hmm. I just think it's fascinating. So. Yeah. 
And so, like, I know you did the Wall Street career, but mm-hmm. how did your entrepreneurial journey begin? We started Fluid, Fluent many years ago where yeah, we, like, yeah. created events so people could meet each other, networking events. But did you do entrepreneurial activities after that or before that? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. So, like, I like to call him my stepfather. There's a gentleman named Charles Bardu, and he was very much a father to me. Actually, too, my best friend's father, you know, Willie Anderson. His father's a guy named Charles Anderson. And yep. when I was when I moved to Maplewood, um, I would hang out with Will and his dad, who again was like a surrogate dad to me. Charles Anderson would teach me about stocks and equity and so on and so forth. And so I would, um, and then I met Charles Pardew, who literally lived worked across the, lived across the street from oh, wow. Charles, Will. So I started working for him, and and, and I remember this is like 1995, right? So I'm like 15 years old. And this dude was like, I'll pay you seven dollars and fifty cents an hour. Seven dollars and fifty cents an hour. To a 15 or 16 year old, it's a lot of money. That was yeah, good yeah. money, right? So like, I go over to this dude's house and he's like, build a fence. Like, you know, he taught me all this stuff. He let me work with power tools, which is awesome, right? To any 15 year old boy, and I wound up putting some money in the bank, right? So then I started investing uh, with my best friend's dad, Charles Anson, who was the dean at, uh, at Keene University, he's an econometrics, uh, you know, dean, uh, one of the first black men at Stanford, right? And so he started oh, teaching wow. me about equity. So. At an early age, you know, um, I kind of got these two older gentlemen as mentors who introduced me to it. And, and it turns out Charles Pardue was like a senior investment banker at like J.P. Morgan. So I've got on one side of the street, you know, a dean who's educated me on the fundamentals of equities, right? And on the other side of the street, this guy who works at, uh, on Wall Street who is like, who wrote my recommendation to Princeton, who like helped me buy my first car, who helped me manage my money that I was making from him such that I invested in equities and bought, I think, a Celica, a Mazda GLC 1983, and, like, another car before I was, like, 20-something, right? So I just had – I was fortunate to have two real economists, two real kind of finance guys around me. And while I was working for him, I wound up hiring a lot of my friends to do work with me. So I I kind of became, like, a general contractor as a senior in high school, right? I had, like, Cutler and, like, my boy Corey and my brother, and we're, like – we're knocking out big projects. And this dude wound up selling his house for a, a clean mint, right? Because, like, we just made this out. His, like, we, we worked, made his house a lot better, and he, he taught me a lot. And so I already had that reality. I was like, oh, yeah, I can work for myself. Like, you could just give me the money. Why do I have to, like, get a paycheck in two weeks, right? Because, <laughs> you know, there was that. And then uh, after Fluent, which actually, what's so funny is I literally just had an interview with Ellen Bailey of Harvard Business Publishing, right? Oh, wow. I think last yeah. week. And I still, you know, I still love Harvard Business Publishing, right? Like, that's a book on, yeah. that's like a magazine, a whole uh, organization focused on great management, great leadership. Right. So um, I've worked with them um, from the one we did with them at Goldman. Remember Managing Your Boss? Yes. I don't know if you remember that, right? That was like that was like us saying, it sucks, our bosses suck. Da, da, da. And I read that article, I'm like, wait, it might be kind of us. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess showing up to work drunk isn't cool, right? Like, so, puts the responsibility back in our hands, right? It's, it's kind of fascinating. So I still feel that what's missing a lot of times is that kind of exposure to how important good management is for kids, like, and not your parents, right? Like that uncle or aunt or that neighbor who's like, oh, kid, you got to pick up after yourself. So that's where I learned entrepreneurship, to be honest, from people who said you're ultimately responsible for your own success, even if you're doing within a J.P. Morgan structure or as a dean, right? You're taking that money and you're investing it in something you believe in, and that decision is yours, right? And so – 
that's a Go great ahead. lesson to learn at a young age. No, continue. Yeah, so um and so what happened was obviously Wall Street thing, boom, boom, boom. But like right after Fluent, by the way, me and Lloyd, I remember you probably remember this, but like we are working on Wall Street and we go out and we're, we're waiting online for Lloyd's birthday, if I recall, which is like March. And it's cold and he and I are like, yo, this is stupid. We got this whole B&T crowd. Let's talk to the promoter. So the promoter is Black Diamonds and we wind up making money that night because we show up for the crowd. So I was like, oh, this is another side hustle, right? Like, I got the crowd. Oh, wow. You start having people come out. So we start, you know, bringing people out from the Jersey side, right, to party in New York and, and getting VIP access for them in the whole nine. So, you know, for me, I'm like, wait, this doesn't really get in the way of work, right? Um, I, have the, I have all the resources I need to generate value for people, period, mm-hmm. right? You guys want to go out. I know the right people. I hate waiting online. I brokered this deal. You guys get in, you pay twenty dollars instead of twenty five, I get my cut, everybody's happy. So then I started doing that, right? And that grew into Ace Club, which I did with my boy Derek for a while. But like the whole time I was on Wall Street I always had a side hustle. Because before it was in vogue. <laughs> before it was in vogue, right? And I mean, you know, here's the thing in Nigeria that's just the way it is. You know, like back to yeah. my reality of like, what do you mean in vogue in America? Like, I'm sorry you guys don't think that makes sense, but there's money to be made and people need this done. Right. Period. Right. Right. So that's always been um, from those days, uh, the entire time I was working on Wall Street or not working because, you know, layoffs and 9-11, et cetera, I always had that side opportunity. Right, mm-hmm. um, where it was, this is my community, and we like to go do X. So I'm going to go ahead and set up a situation that benefits them, benefits others, and if it can benefit me, then so be it. Fluent, we made no money off of, remember? No, we didn't. We did that all was like that a work be- passion project. <laughs> yeah, that was like our true nonprofit, like, you know, effort. <laughs> uh, but, like, you know, I, I remember when we were young, I, there was a whole wave of, Start a nonprofit, you know, all black people are like, no, <laughs> no, I want profit. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. I got to go ask people that's not giving away money for money to go get, to go give away, right? Like this, this, this I, and I still kind of joke, I, I love supporting nonprofits, but I'm like, not for me. I'll be on the board, yeah. I'll support, but I'm not starting one of those things. Um, yeah. And so, you know, Florent was just a passion project, but it was, it was really putting in work where it mattered. But I've always felt that entrepreneurship is just like rational, right? It, it mm-hmm. you only work for a company because somebody went and built it. That's true. That's we could, you, so like that's actually the beginning. There's no chicken and egg here. You can't work for something that doesn't exist. Um, right. And I just I'd rather be. Um, I think after all of that, I made a decision, right? So 9/11 happens. We're doing Florin Ace Club, all that. Um, I, I I go to Goldman. Goldman was great. Um, I I wind up. And at Goldman, meeting all these really wealthy, powerful old people who, who influenced me greatly. And one of them takes me out and goes, you got to work for yourself. I'm, I'm looking in the eyes, you got to work for yourself. Like, that's just the way wow. it is. That was it. <laughs> I mean, like, I was like, damn, you are right, sir. Uh, <laughs> and so after B-School, I, I, I worked in Brazil, came back. Um, you know, I did side hustle stuff here and there. I worked with, like, talking to New York guys on digital cameras first came out. I used to, like, I helped build out that whole platform, taking pictures in clubs to promote parties. That was pretty good money, right? Um, definitely put a lot of money in my sister's hands for medical school. So, you know, it was, it was great. It was like, again, day job and night job. But there was this whole element of after business school, watching the mortgage crisis collapse and, um, and all of that, 
I went full into that mode. I was like, I'll have a day job, but I got to keep building towards freedom. Like yeah. this is true economic. And, and today I could say it feels free. I've worked my butt off. I mean, I was up at four, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my wife flew out, you know, back in the office at five, get the kids off to the bus, et cetera. But by 3.30, honestly, I shut down because my kids come home. I can't do anything. Right. No boss in the world. No boss in the world is going to tolerate me turning off at 3.30 if I'm valuable to their company. But Even if kids, you, thought you were working till 4 o'clock the night before in the morning. Yeah, it, it's like they just don't get it. I'm like, and my circadian rhythms are so off, by the way. <laughs> like, I've got the worst circadian rhythm in the world. Like, that, I've always known. I was just like, yo, I literally, that, that, that's why the promotion thing is easy for me. I'm like, yeah, man, you need me up to four, da da da. But like after twelve o'clock or after one, my energy levels just drop, and I don't really turn back on till about eight. So if you can just let me hang out, right, I'll get things done. <laughs> but I'm just not running on your clock. I just don't care about yeah. your clock. You don't care about my clock, so it's nothing personal. But right. I, I prefer right. to kind of get up early, knock it out. You know, by the time other people are eating lunch, I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> I don't yeah. Go. Walk in the you park worked a full eight hours a day yeah. by that time. And that's why I became a trader, because we could get in the office early. The market closes at four, last two hours, nothing's really happening unless, you know, something goes off somewhere. So I've always tried to align my life with that private wealth at Goldman was hard because the hours were normal people, nine to five, and I, I just don't like doing that. Yeah. You know, so uh, bottom line is um, I spend years kind of just – after business school, working in Brazil, which was great. I kind of ran my own little firm, and I went to go work for an organization there uh, while kind of flying back and forth working in carbon credit structuring. Then I came back, and I unfortunately took a job or two in the kind of uh, carbon credit structuring renewable energy space. Uh, but by the time I got to the renewable energy space, it was like I was a contractor within the company, right, mm. because just so many weird things about employment. And, just, again, I'm that – you know, I just, I know who I am and I know the American dynamic. I know the corporate dynamic. So I wanted to begin building up a track record <clears throat> of saying, hey, I've done this, but like not really as an employee, kind of like as a W-2 kind of thing. And I, right. I, I struck gold when a guy named Tony Shea started Zappos and I uh, kind of made contact and, you know, I, lo- I love the guy. He's awesome. And he, he uh, got, gave me an opportunity to work for him on the downtown project. and um, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, I went wow. out there. Yeah, so while Julie and I were engaged, I went out to Vegas, and um, I, he said, hey, man, come on over here. And I said, can I actually, like, start, have you pay my business, right? Like, and I didn't have the business really together at that point, but I said, hey, I'll, I'll start a business and you'll pay me. And then in the future, right, I'll be able to upcharge because my businesses work with you. <laughs> right? I'm not an employee. Like, Goldman does, a lot of people don't realize this, but, like, Goldman, J.P. Morgan, McKinsey, Facebook, means nothing for you as a person. It really doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. All that people think is you're smart. Now, if you say, my company got hired by Goldman, J.P. Morgan, they're like, oh, wow, right? Very different dynamics, very different price right. ranges. Right. Because to get your company hired by any places is a hell of a lot of work, right? But you have mm-hmm. to be as smart, period. Yeah. Right. How do you get a contract with uh, Harvard or a contract with Goldman or a contract with whatever? Well, I at that point, when I kind of spoke to Tony, he said, well, who do you want to work for? Like, who's your target? And I was like, I just want to work with CEOs. <laughs> if you're not in charge, you know, nothing personal. But, like, we, I, we, the impact, and I wouldn't just say CEOs, right, executives, 
and founders, the people who can make decisions, are my favorite people because we could go get things done, period. Mm. It's nothing personal. They're um, not passing the bucket to someone else. Yeah, I don't, I don't do bucket passing. I don't kick the ladder over. I'm like, yep, this is our responsibility. Let's go fix it. You know, your company's got this. And so what I realized from talking to every single one of my friends who's ever started something, and you guys want to focus on two things, right? Acquisition and retention, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, digital media. No, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's TikTok. It's, it's, not, it's not Facebook. It's, it's acquisition. You want to acquire customers and you want to retain them. So whether we use Amazon to sell your products or we use LinkedIn or HubSpot or Salesforce, fundamentally the CEO is responsible for a few things, right? Did you make more money than you than you lost on, on that campaign? And and what's the CAC LTV ratio, right? How much did it cost to get those folks in? And at some point, you know, um, if you're doing that right, it gives you the bandwidth to go do a lot of other things. If you're doing that wrong, if you're doing that wrong, then, you know, it doesn't matter. You're going to run out of funding. You're going to run out of capital, whatever. So that's really why people say, like, so I'm, I'm kind of confused as to what you do. I'm like, I just advise CEOs who can do X, Y, Z, and and then we go from there. That's, that, that I, you know, when you think about it, they things sound a lot more complicated than it has to be. But you're right. Every business, you need more customers. You need to be profitable. And you want to retain the customers you have so you don't have to keep spending money to go get other customers. Absolutely. It, it, I think it's like a fundamental issue where um, a lot of people that say they want to be entrepreneurs think, oh, I'm going to raise or have a great idea. I'm like, that doesn't mean a thing. If you as a CEO can't sell me or you can't sell others on why your solution is what they need and what they should pay for, it doesn't matter what you do eventually, and again, all empires, there's a Ray Dalio book out yesterday, but like all empires fail eventually because they're unprofitable. All companies in time, everything ends, but your meteoric rise comes from your ability to sell or to have people who sell, and you have to be the most believable person. You have to be the visionary. You have to be capable of actually demanding what you're worth, or over time, it eats into the DNA of your company and, and erodes it, Right. So when you find folks who could just raise and raise and raise, but they can't match that with sales, you've got one of those debacles that we see all the time where it's like, you know, they're enroning it. They're cooking the books to, 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 to lie to investors. And it's so, again, it's not the valuation. It's not the raise. It's about the sales. What surprised you the most about entrepreneurship so far? The decision-making process about your sacrifices and trade-offs, right? Like, you just can't have it all, Um and so, you know, something suffers, your health, um, your relationships, your finances for a period of time. And in many ways, you can control some elements and you can't control others. But to some degree, you make a decision, right? And that decision is tied very closely to your personality. Um, and so it's kind of like being locked into a, you know, a system where you see people who have, like, maybe corporate jobs. It's like, I'm getting unhealthy because I'm sitting at my desk all day. Well, yeah, we're getting paid, Right. Uh, you see mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, like, you know, I feel like I'm great, but the, or I look great, but, like, you know, my stress levels are high. It's like, yeah, because you're an entrepreneur. Um, and, and so there's just almost an invisible trade-off that might relate to how little time you have to spend with your family or with your spouse, right, um, that you look back at and say, oh, wow, like, I couldn't have predicted that, but, you know, I, in, in, in retrospect, it makes sense. 
What are some challenges you faced so far while building Ooh. your business? I can't even call them challenges so much as I call them opportunities, which according to Seth Godin really means obligations. Um, for capital, right? That There was this period of time where my wife and I foolish. I, geez, I can tell you right now, we sunk a hell of a lot of time into putting together a fancy deck that we were going to raise 300000 or 400000 and And I just realized, like, that's a joke, right? Because it, it's possible, but it's almost like, I like to say that the investors who you want money from don't start investing until you're at about a million dollars or more, mm-hmm. right, on, on, from an equity perspective. Right. And it's hard to find the $300,000 raise that gets your business to, you know, $4.5 million. I can tell you I've done a lot of projections that kind of suggest that's possible, right? But I think you and I both know, right, you better go work your debt facility. You better go understand how to – you know, build this thing up, reinvest, get to the point where you got six figures easy, and then people start really being entrusted in what you're doing, right? Then it's easier, right? So when people come to me and I'm like, what's your sales? And they say, I'm free revenue. I'm like, oh, go away. Because, <laughs> because it's like, man, listen, ain't nobody giving you. Nobody in my community is giving you 485, 562, 787, whatever. Because the yeah. people that think do that don't really, like, there's no black guy I know or black woman or whatever who's like, you know what? I got $4.3 million on my bank account, and I did intend to give out <laughs> $50,000 this year. So thank you for these projects. It's like, eh. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can go on a Shark Tank. <laughs> that is, okay, I don't I don't hate on Shark Tank. I'm just, you, you out of your damn mind if you think I'm going to build something I love and go give it away on national TV. <laughs> Right. Or have someone so, like put it down on national TV. Like, yeah, yeah, just I, I, I think my number one problem is the impatience. Okay, my biggest pet peeve about entrepreneurship is the immature approach that we allow people to uh, to to uh, come to it with. Go on short to be rich. I'm like, shut up! I'm not doing this to be rich. I'm doing this to be wealthy. Number one, and wealthy right. isn't like giving away my equity for 10 minutes on TV so I could take a crap salary for the next seven years of my life while somebody who gave away 0.01% of their wealth to me, like the lords over me, the, the, the 48% of my business they own, right? Like that is impatience. That that owner, and I know a few folks who are mad about the investment they took, I was like, oh, you thought this was the easy way out. You thought mm-hmm. you were going to fire your job and in three years be on Tahiti. Yeah, right, good luck. Right, and I'm not mad yeah. at people that do that, but it's 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 back to that like the availability bias where it's like, well, black people are doing well. Look, they've got Jay Z and uh, Oprah. It's like, yeah, there's there's going to be Mark Zuckerberg, but for every one of him, there's a thousand bodega owners who are like, you know, got hit with COVID, uh, uh, yeah. or, or COVID hit and their sales went to crap. And so I just I don't I think if you do the law, if you don't, if even if you do the average, the averages, right, the myth of I'll get in this easy, I'll sell out, and I'll be free in three to five years. It's, it's immature because would you treat your career like that? It's true. You're right. Nobody would come in and be like, oh, I'm going to have a three to five-year career, and I'll be done. Like, All right, good luck. So yeah. with a business, like you're raising a child. Like nobody's done raising their child in five years. Um, yeah. And, and and if you do, if you do create something as great as Google, you're handing off to Eric Schmidt, right? Um, that's because you're handing that child off to somebody so it could go last another 10 to 20 years because you've made something great and it's outgrown you, right, right. period. 
So I, you know, I approach it from that perspective. And, and with that perspective, the, the Shark Tank, the, the whole reality TV phenomenon, I think is just, it just, it just, I can't even irritates me. I'm just like, it's just, it's just noise. It's just yeah. noise, right? Nobody acts the exact way. Nobody would, nobody would actually negotiate their business that way in the real world. Right. Not if you love your business. Yeah. What are you most proud of with Harlem Labs? I know, like, um, you guys have done a lot of things. Um, I have part of. Huh? Let me ask you that. I was like, I haven't done what I'm going to be proud of yet. I'll know when I'm on my deathbed, right? But, like, I don't know. Like, I'm still doing, right? I, I feel like I'm still creating. I'm always in the process of creation with the business. And it's because, you know, I got three kids, but we've got five kids. I got my wife's business. I got my business. I've got every business owner that I work with, their baby. And Harlem Labs could maybe one day finance one of those things, and it becomes worth a hell of a lot of money. Harlem Labs could know that CEO and da-da-da-da. And I feel like it could be a person, right? Mm-hmm. It could be you. I wouldn't know that until, right? So I I don't know. I, I'm, I'm holding back on any pride in anything, right? I'm just kind of like enjoying the process of making a cash flow that matters, right, with people who will appreciate my way of doing things. Like, you know, I'm a data junkie, right? So the information, yeah. the connection, it's like, hey, you know, when I see a CEO turn around, I was on a call the other day with my CEOs, and the lady from Amazon was like, wow, you've made 10 times the money you've spent in advertising, right? This is more like 9.846. But um, it, it, it was like he, like, and I remember being like, yo, we should move on to that channel, right? And now for him to actually see it, culminating in, you know, five figures flowing into the business. Uh, you know, I, this is a CEO I care very much about. We talk often. We we, we work. He's my client. But, um, you know, there, there's an element of knowing that his business could go on to do seven or eight figures with me as an advisor um, or my company as an advisor that truly is what I focus on, right? Yeah. So it's very hard for me to think about any particular thing in the present or in the past because, that's not really the objective. Like the the future, the Harlem Lab to me is the future. It's um, I was saying to my wife, uh, again, I bring up the Ray Dalio book, changing uh, the, the the new book he has. That's fascinating. But but in in Africa in 2050, or the African diaspora is going to be the one of the largest populations on the planet, right? Um, and it's going to have huge consumption power, right? It's it's going to be um, not only the youngest, but just very very influential. And you and I are going to be right about that kind of Nelson Mandela, you know, Jesse Jackson, you stage, right? Where you you probably have, right? you know what I mean? Like, and you all you guys, Waz has like, he says the things like you don't even think about. Like I'm with him, and then he's like, you and I are going to be like the Jesse Jackson, Nelson Mandela. I love it. Yeah, well, no, we're going to be older. <laughs> we're going to be older people who grew up. Like we're going to remember all this stuff, and like the world doesn't realize. I'm going to remember. I'm gonna remember all that stuff, and I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. you know, yeah. like that, that Kanye stuff. <laughs> and it's like, yo, you know what? If I got money to employ, I'm gonna have my own, you know, what I'm saying my own group of people that I'm trying to make rich, but like with the backdrop of history, yeah. right? Of who we are, what we've gone through, and that's that's a. The, if at that point I got 
SEO sending me folks up. I want to just work your Harlem Labs. I'm like, yeah, that, I'm proud of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've always I heard that you did SEO. It's like, yeah, man. Now it's all come full circle, right? So yeah. when I realize yeah. how many hundreds of thousands of millions of people will be looking for work to do something meaningful and solve problems, I'm like, yeah, the best is yet to come. Yeah, these, these folks don't understand what we're looking at as as, as black folks are. We, we're going to have our pick of the litter. I love it. Think I love it. And I just hearing you say that, I mean, I just got so excited because we're not doing it for now. We're doing it for later. And <laughs> we're, we're doing this for. Yeah. This ain't about yeah, the future. This, yeah. this is about them 50 young girls, 18 year old girls talking about Miss, Miss Mills. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, and you go get your paycheck, girl. Go ahead and solve that algorithm. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're doing it for. <laughs> And yeah, it's easy and to look for, like, the, the quick fix, but you have to have yeah. the long view. Yep. Remember Beatrice Sibley? Like, remember how, like, Beatrice was, like, a mother to us? And, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, so, like, imagine, like, you being able to give that 22-year-old that's looking for a job her shot. Imagine yeah. how much of an influence she And then imagine seven, seven people behind her. Like, yeah. we got to be prepared for that. We got to be prepared for them to be leaders and managers and managing their money and, and building their podcast. And, you know, well, well, you can work for the corporation, but if you have the entrepreneurial streak, go ahead, side hustle. It's nothing new. We've been doing yeah. it since, you know, the first man. So, Yeah. Oh, man, so good, so good. All right, so we're going to go into a rapid-fire question. And then after that, I'm just going to have them know where to find you um, with Harlan Labs. So the first question, cake or pie? Cake or what? Cake or pie? Pie. What kind of pie? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, peach pie, apple pie. Um, okay. Pumpkin pie. Okay. I'll do a Oh, lemon, lemon key, key lime pie. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Oh, too. key lime pie. Yeah, key lime pie. Yeah, key, key lime pie. I, I I haven't gained much weight yet, but I do throw down. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite movie. Favorite movie. Ooh, I'm gonna have to go with the Matrix series. Oh yeah. To... Okay. Favorite city. Ooh, favorite city. Yeah, 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 it's a good one. Jersey City. Jersey City, not Maplewood. Yeah, no, I mean I love Maplewood, man, but you know Jersey City was like, I think Jersey City is probably one of the most influential cities in the history of man. Like that's how Americans got to America, right? Yeah. Like that, it hit me. Statue of Liberty's there, man. Everybody thinks it's New York. So I'm like, hell no, I'm like Jersey City, chump. And then you know, I went to St. Peter's College, and you see what we're doing in the NAACP. Yeah. Uh, the, tournament right so i think we just i mean I, i'd rather be under slept on right uh, and, and but like jersey city i think was the most diverse city in the u.s until recently it was taken by houston so right now i'll say it's a split between jersey city and houston which is where i hope okay. to live next so okay uh, favorite book Ooh, this is a good one. Oh man i got it i'm gonna just have to say the bible man okay because I, I think of I mean, all my favorite stories, and it's not like the Bible stories, but it's like the deep philosophical underpinnings of the parables behind the Bible and how yeah. to do it. I like that stuff. Yeah. Well, for me, like, everything comes back to the Bible, so I, I could definitely see that. 
What yeah. show are you binge watching? I, I know you read a lot and against Empire, but everyone has a series that they're watching that they can't get enough of. So uh, what is it? So I, you know, I have been, and it's so funny because I'm, I'm like really, really petty in my mind with shows, <laughs> like, <laughs> like super petty. But like, I'm a big fan of The Expanse, which oh, is just like special, and it's, it's just weird. It's like it's spacey, and people fly around in space, and there's a portal, and they're you know space astronauts and stuff. And but then they they do stupid stuff every now and then. Like the lead guy always does like stupid like I'm a nice hero guy but he like he should have killed the big bad guy but he didn't for some reason and that I, I have stopped watching it because of that so I, I'm like every I'm like six seasons in and then there's this one episode where he did something really stupid and I was like you could have ended this whole thing right there and so I don't know you know what I mean like you know you know it's like Batman and Joker I'm like just kill the dude man <laughs> <laughs> just like why are we still watching this part of the series yeah I'm like just right? separate the guy man take him out, you know, like, I just want to see justice served. So I stopped watching it randomly, but I feel like I'll go back to it. You know? Okay. And that's you know. on Netflix? It's on Amazon. Amazon, okay. It's really good, like, geopolitical intrigue meets space meets, like, every NASA fantasy, you know, about, like, hyperdrives and wormholes and all that other weird stuff in a really cool thing where people shooting each other and fight. So. Okay. Like, make- I have Make to check piece. it out. Yeah. Cool. That's only something my husband want to watch. All right. So last question. If mm-hmm. you can spend an afternoon on a veranda with anyone, living or deceased, who would it be? Oh. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna scratch Jesus, because uh, I can't uh, I want that's just too I would say that's too easy, right? I'd like to hang out with him. He's cool. Um Barack Obama. Okay. If I can hang out with that, that brother right there is that's my that's I love him, man. I just love him. He's, he's a your friend in your head. He's I no, he's like that. He's like he's like there'd be Charles Hardy, Charles Anderson, and Barack Obama, like those dudes that just like. And then I spent one afternoon with him to change my life. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> this book, and I'd read that book and highlight it, right? And um, but I feel like you know. One of the things I identified, I, re- I realized with um, Tony Shea was Tony was the first one to introduce me to the concept of the of Internet of Things, right? Yeah. Um, many things that now are just mundane. But when you are around somebody who's extremely exposed to the ideas and influence of others, everything they say matters a bit more mm-hmm. because of their position and because of their deeper insights into that, right? And so Barack Obama could say something to me about what's happening with the NBA in Kenya because of his exposure that could change my life. I might be able to launch a whole world out of that, but it's in that connectedness of recognizing that their viewpoint, it's like they're giants and they could see over the whole forest and they're like, right. go left. Like why? You're like, just, you can't see it right now. Just go left. <laughs> just go left. Right? I, so, I promise you'll be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Barack Obama was like, I think you should be a lawyer. I'll put a, I'll put in a recommendation. Like, I guess I'm going to be a lawyer then. Because who's going to turn down <laughs> Barack Obama? I'll fail every class by Barack Obama. They're like, oh, he must have seen something in your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so I would spend a day on the random and I'm like, could you give me a recommendation? And then for the rest of my life, you'd be like, no, what? I'm like, well, Barack Obama thought I was pretty good at it, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, I hear you. And I said the one last question, but there are two questions left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, and this is just this is just something I'm I'm curious about. Earlier mm-hmm. in the interview, you just happened to like know like this uh, your mentor who like called you about investing, and mm-hmm. Maplewood. I know other people are from Maplewood. It's a very mm-hmm. interesting town. What was it like being raised in Maplewood, New Jersey? That is such an amazing question, and it's part of this. Um, I feel that, you know, uh, back to my whole thing about wormholes, there are periods in American history where places open up, um, whether it be um, uh, particular cities uh, or um, uh Times right, 1968, and how pivotal it was, and so on and so forth. Maplewood was a a haven. It was almost a perfection for a window of time where I'd say a good cross section of America's um, a young population, white, black, um, Asian of all kinds, came together in a school where I think it was well funded, where teachers really cared, a great curriculum, and an environment that was truly, truly um, um, forward thinking. So I was very blessed. I actually only got to be in Maywood for about two-plus years. Prior to that, I went to Lincoln High School in Jersey City, got in a lot of fights, essentially dropped out of high school, and was like, eh, this is not cool. I'm good. And then my mom moved us to Maywood simply because she was like, I'm not taking the chances with you guys, right, by being in a district that doesn't really, can't really give you what you need. And when I got there, I mean, most of my close friends, best friends, et cetera, have, have come from there because um, we, we had that haven. Our, our families all wanted the same thing for us. So Maplewood is so amazing. And, in fact, my wife and I are looking at uh, – I shouldn't even say this if everybody's going to go in and buy homes there, but Cypress outside of Houston, Texas, we were there this weekend, and it's like that same idyllic feel, right? Um, very good balance uh, uh, of, you know, the different groups of America, right, um, whether it be Hispanic, white, Asian, right? I, I need to see all my people. I need to see my Filipinos. I need to see my Jewish friends. I got – like, I don't I – don't, I can't live in a city that's like – black and white or Spanish or white Hispanic. I just don't. I don't do I don't do that. So we, you know, even Austin really lacks diversity. But I I I because of that experience, I want my kids to go somewhere where they don't have questions what Korean people are like. They know the difference between Filipino people and Chinese people, right? Like not that right. you know sometimes people here in, in the South or in rural areas, they they're smart but they don't realize how much they don't know. And you're like, oh, you don't know the Filipino people? Or, like, and they're like, no. I'm like, oh, you haven't been, I don't know. I'm like, I walk away with this look on my face. But, like, they can't help it. But I don't want yeah. my kids to have that understanding of how diverse we are as a species and how the different cultures that they'll meet um, will be so similar but so different, you know. So Maplewood gave us that. And I think it's a, it's a really amazing city. Um, just kind of look back on how influential it was and kind of, directing my life because it gave me access to people like Charles Anderson and Charles Pardue is just neighbors. Right. right. So, yeah, I had to ask you that. And, um, how can listeners learn more about Harlem labs and possibly seeing if they could, um, be a part of it? Um, I mean, check out the website, email me, Waziri at HarlemLab.com. Always open to, you know, to connect with folks that are good that come through Christine. Of course, man, you know, uh, Love you. I love what you're doing. You know, we've talked for years about your entrepreneurial pursuits, and I, I support you, you know, uh, unquestionably. So, you know, email me, waziriharlab.com. Check out the website. We have a LinkedIn page, a Twitter page. Obviously, I'm so busy working for my clients, and I have not been able to put as much time into social. But as my team grows, you should see more kind of coming out from us about what we're doing.
Awesome. Thank you so much, Rosary. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure, and thank you for having me.